โสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะโมทัสสะบาลโตอาราหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะโมทัสสะบาลกวาโตอาราหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะอาปารุธาเดสังมัตสตาวราเอสุรวันธาบมุจันทุสดัง
unshakable deliverance is something that I feel very confident about, that it's, uh, you know, this isn't something that I can't relate to through my own uh, experience of the holy life. But it's, uh, it's really an, uh, something that embraces life uh, rather than just a kind of uh, excludes the, uh, the, the conditions of life. So this sense of the unconditioned is uh, more like in the relationship with the condition to the unconditioned. This unconditioned is like it, it's the it's the ultimate reality that where all the conditioned things can arise and cease. And it, so it doesn't exclude, it's not exclusive or, uh, or judgmental, but includes. So applying that in terms of the present moment, you know, in terms of the reality of our existence, because we all have to live within these uh, human, in this human state, in these human forms, these sensitive formations with emotional habits, with our karma, with, uh, with the way we are, and the way uh, the other people are, and the society and the world. And we can see how easily it is, how easy it is to, you know, to, to endlessly try to see, you know, what, to, to, to know what's wrong with everything. Uh, to, to give such importance to the negative side of oneself or other people or the society. Uh, we can get very critical and the mind becomes kind of obsessed uh, and kind of over-interested in, in uh, what's wrong you know, how we, we idea we should, that there shouldn't be anything wrong, that, that uh, everything should be fair and right and just and clean and proper. And yet, when the Buddha said, wake up, you know, look at life as it is, when we look at life as it is, you know, and we, you know, I, I was always very interested in history and, uh, you know, in the past, and noticing how the, the progress of human civilization, or whatever you might call it, that the same kind of patterns seem to occur. You know, each one tending to want to build up something and coming from something close to something more refined. And uh, each age has its own kind of uh, emphasis an obsession. But on the condition level, all we know is that they're basically, you know, there's no way you're going to have the perfect society, the perfect person, the perfect family, perfect marriage, perfect relationship, um, perfect anything on the condition plane. And so this, this, this reflection on 
on the unsatisfactoriness, the dukkha of the conditioned realm is uh, prepares us for that because it cuts through that assumption that that somehow there's something wrong because things are not what they should be according to an ideal. Um, just like sometimes we prefer the rational approach because uh, in, when you when you rationalize everything, then you you can't get a kind of measure of perfection, and the rational mind can you know, create ideal images, and and it's all logical and sensible, and and it's interesting, uh, and it's clean, and it's uh, it's ordered. And it would be precise. And so the, the rational experience of life to try to, to rationalize everything and to, uh, to make everything neat and tidy, uh, is, uh, is, is very tempting to, and to create these images of the golden age, the perfect society. And then try to move the ourselves or the family or the society toward these ideal goals. And it inevitably becomes a form of tyranny, doesn't it? Our rational intelligence uh, tends to end up uh, becoming a kind of tyrant, you know, an endless nagging kind of state of mind that you know, nothing's ever good enough. And, and blaming criticizing and gets into wanting to just destroy the enemy um, get rid of all the obstructions for example when they, when they said uh, uh, in Pol Pot uh, went to say Mao Zedong in China before he went back to Cambodia and Asked now how to have the perfect communist revolution in Cambodia, and that's what we have here. That Mao advised him to do just, uh, you know, if, if Mao had to do it, he would have completely eradicated the whole middle class, the educated class, the intelligentsia, uh, all these people, kind of right from the beginning, kind of just totally eradicate them and start from just this kind of uneducated present level of society, we idealize this, this kind of proletariat class or these workers or whatever is being somehow um, pure or innocent, or idealizing them in some way, seeing the, the corruption of the, of the upper classes of the, uh, of the, uh, or the middle class or corruption through contact with European civilization or America. And so when Pol Pot did, um, took over Cambodia, he proceeded to put it into action. And he ended up really destroying the society he was trying to preserve or protect. So it's... Uh, and that's, that's because uh, it's a rational mind that does that. It's like genocide or, uh, you know, the, 
the Holocaust, the idea of just eradicating all the Jews and the Gypsies and so forth, so getting rid of all the elements of society you think are corrupt and just have this kind of pure waste is a very rational position to take. Uh, and it, and so it, and the idea is just, you know, a polarizing life of getting rid of the bad and, and then what you're left with is just the good, is a, is a kind of, uh, spurious logic that, that they, that you get from that paradigm. But in the Buddhist context, the condition and the unconditioned, when the unconditioned is a refuge, not the, not the refined goodness or the purity or the, or, or the beautiful or some kind of pure race or pure state, but in a realization, you know, waking up to reality in other words. So when the Buddha will wake up, will wake up to the reality of this moment. Because that's all we have. We have a, as long as we think it, it only in terms of abstract kind of Buddhist uh, uh, philosophy, then it's another, just another kind of interesting idea that you have from, from Asia. And it still remains a kind of, you know, just an ideal that, that nobody ever uh, kind of recognizes or realizes. And the attention is in our life here, I mean, what do you, in daily life. And this the challenge is this awakeness now. Not, not uh, next winter's retreat. <laughs> Or waiting till you go to the right monastery. You know, I'm going to go to Chitters, to go to Thailand, to go someplace else where I can really practice. It's, it's just putting it off, isn't it? You don't really get it. You're not willing to really wake up and learn from this present moment, but thinking that we have to have the right conditions for it, better conditions than because you see, maybe see too many flaws or inconsistencies or obstructions here and so you think we'll go somewhere else and it'll be better. So one can keep moving even in the Buddhist world, isn't it? There's always a wherever you are, you're going to you know, you, you like for a while and you're going to see a lot of things you don't like about it. It's like, like romance, isn't it? When, you're, when, you, when you have a romance, you, you don't notice very much the things you don't like about the person you're in love with. They don't matter, they're not important. Your interest is how wonderful it feels. And you're not, as you get to know that person better, then you become aware of things you don't like. And then you become obsessed with what you don't like. You know, you can take the, the kind of flaw, the kind of, uh, you find out they have a 
plateau on the backside or something, and you just become obsessed. That's ruined, and that's taken the ruined the romance, the magic is gone because of that. And the and then that, that flaw becomes, we, we, we take, we, after a while we just begin to see the flaw and, and out of context. So we become obsessed. And I ask myself, why do I do that? I mean, I'm quite, you know, this is speaking from experience. <laughs> why, why do I do that? Why do I, why do I care so much about what's wrong with somebody or with me or with the, Society. Why do I why do I become obsessed and give so much attention, and conscious attention to to uh, to the the unpleasantness of life? I'm just asking myself that question. I can see how how emotionally. Uh, I feel I want to get rid of this flaw. It shouldn't be like this. Don't like that. Want to get rid of what I don't like. Want to uh, convert. Want to change. Want to to get rid of all the flaws so that they only be the, the pretty kind of clean, pure, bright side in the, the dark, ugly sides gone. So, so then, so then, what, and then they, then they are there, and then you become obsessed with the dirty side so much. But you forget the other side. You can become so, so obsessed with what's wrong, you forget all about the other. So, in waking up to Dhamma, then we, we are, we, we're not, we don't like positive thinking, you know, just everything, everything is wonderful, uh, and I got endless affirmation of everything is wonderful, but we up to the way it is. The Dhamma is the truth of the way it is. All conditions are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. And then that passing is, is peace. And as you begin to allow the condition realm to be what it is, Beautiful and ugly and clean and dirty and fair and unfair and wonderful and horrible and all that, then you begin to experience peace because in the passing, when you're letting go, when you really trust in non attachment, letting go of non attachment, then what I find is a sense of peacefulness as a result. Now, peacefulness now. Now, this is, and so this is that the, you know, just learning to, to test this out in terms of your own life and your own experience of it. Emotional world, learning to to uh, 
like I find because uh, the, the feeling, the, the relationships we have with each other on the level of relating to each other uh, in the Sangha. And that there's a, uh, I'm from the kind of background uh, where you, you, you tend to hold everything down. And you have a stiff upper lip type of uh, family where, where you, you try, you just, you learn very good manners and social etiquettes and put on a cheerful face to life. And this is, this is what, what's expected. And I've grown up with good manners and, and, uh, etiquette. My mother was very keen on social etiquette and putting on a nice face, being a nice person, and being moral and good. And, uh, these are, you know, these are all very good things too. and etiquette and morality and a cheerful faith and all that. There's nothing, not complaining about it. But then, because, uh, because this was oftentimes uh, to cover up what was underneath, the, the unrecognized fears and emotional loneliness, sadness of life. And so you put on a cheerful face because life is sad. You don't, you don't want to, you know, a sad face makes you feel, you know, you look at somebody that's sad and you, you, you know, it makes you feel sad. When I remember I was in Rome and somebody invited me to their apartment in Rome and walked in this apartment and, and, and this man had this, this head and bust of, of the saddest looking Thing I've ever seen. It was it was the absolute epitome of sadness. This this was about this big. Just the head of a man in a, in a, in, a, in with the most sad expression. Just to look at it made you sad. And so when I look at it. <laughs> I found myself sitting there, you know, trying to look at it, avoiding it, looking away from it. <laughs> I said, well, why do you have that in your flat? It's a very depressing thing to have around. <laughs> well, you look at a bit of rupa, you know, and you know, the perfect poise of, you know, attention, awakeness, awakening awareness. into the shark tank where it was this man that going to SeaWorld in San Diego and it was a huge tank looking at these sharks and looking at his shark right like this where this microphone is there's much glass between us I look right into this shark's face and uh, it was a sad looking face sharks look sad and they reminded me of my father <laughs> my father's face 
there's a certain sadness, there's a shock. And not wanting to, to see it really, what the sadness is, a, is an emotion that uh, one tends, that I would tend to kind of dismiss. But in waking up and contemplating the way things are, and that life is, uh, is quite sad actually, it's naturally so. It's not because of anything wrong or that it shouldn't be, but that's the way it is. So, so we have that reflection, all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me, which is my self-reflection. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will lose, will become otherwise. What is beautiful is going to get old and Knows its its beauty, and life is going to change, and the security of the happiness I'm supposed now is going to change, and, the, and uh, everything is going to change. The society uh, that I'm so used to is going to change. And what is going to change? Poland is changing. I'm noticing all of those have been connected to Poland. How much it's changed. So I get nostalgic for the kind of old Thailand I knew back in the 60s, you know. You get nostalgic. Or I get nostalgic for America back in the 30s, 30s and 40s, you know, as a child. And say, you know, uh, you know, like music or movies from that period really attract me, you know, the nostalgia of, of the kind of pop songs I heard when I was a child, or the, the, uh, the kind of art and styles and that nostalgia of an innocent era. When I was a child, America was, a, was still pretty innocent. It wasn't a superpower. I remember going to New Zealand for the first time, and and uh, walking around places like Auckland and Wellington and that. And there's something so familiar to me about New Zealand. What is it? It's like, it, it seemed like America in my childhood, that kind of innocence and naivety. Uh, but America doesn't live anymore. Because uh, America now is a superpower and it's most uh, kind of super economy, super living. There's no power, no super. And there is, uh, and that, and there is that innocence, there, like naivety, when you, when you take on that role of being powerful, dominant, influential, wealthy. And it's changed. And in some ways, it's, uh, you know, in some ways it's changed, but in other ways it's not. But change is just the nature of this realm, and you can't go back, you can't take the United States back to, to the 1930s, or, or uh, to uh, a state that it was uh, 60 years ago, or uh, you can't go make Poland go back to the, to the days of what was the East Island, 
some stuff kind of old village country that's still flourishing and so forth it's because of a change in, in the inexorable changingness of the conditioned realm so this is a Buddha what Buddha was pointing to to notice that's the just the there's nothing wrong with it nothing like it shouldn't be that's the way it is the truth of the way it is it's like Dhamma that word Dhamma is a, the truth of the way it is. So when I find that uh, when I can accept that, then my mind opens in a much wider way. Because then, when I find that instead of you know, longing for the past or the security of my childhood or the, or the things that I remember that I really liked. Uh, you know, I can get very nostalgic about my years in Thailand with Ajahn Chah. Those were kind of wonderful memories living in, in uh, Lumpur Chah. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't always fair and good now that living in Thailand. Because I went through a lot of, you know, suffering and that. But looking back, you know, I don't remember really about the the kind of unpleasant things that happened. Because I don't remember. I just remember the, you know, how you know the good goodness of that life that I lived then, when when Mimpocha was at its best. And, and but then life, you can't freeze life on that level, and so you keep opening, and, and totally relentless changingness and conditions as they, as, as one has to live with them. So then I find that, that the much more attitude of welcoming life rather than than uh, feeling just disappointed or negative or critical of it. Uh, more waking up and welcoming and, and embracing life as a flow and a flux without a demand made on it. Without, you know, demand even for some kind of positive reward. More some kind of prize, when just the, 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 that openness of heart is its own reward. Nothing better than that. So, you know, there's an, even if no one ever notices or things don't change very the way you love them, it's still perfect the way it is. And so the, the mind then isn't just taking what's wrong and, and fixi- fixing one's attention on notices doesn't mean one is blind or doesn't notice. But then, you know, it's in perspective. So you can change, adapt, repair, refurbish, do the best you can, get along with, meet new, reform, whatever is it you can do with things. But it's in 
perspective and not with any kind of uh, idea that you're going to, by doing it, you're going to change it into something, you know, permanently what you want, and you know, you're going to really get your way and live happily ever after with it. And, uh, even if we can repair and uh, refurbish or make new or whatever, then build anew, something fresh, appropriate, suitable to the age, to the era, to the time, and so forth, still changing. isn't in in any of those conditions, is it? To getting what we want through through um, having wonderful concentration, through through um, having a wonderful monastery with a marvelous community in it, or uh, you know, really bringing Buddhism into the West and and everybody kind of suddenly becoming Buddhist in, in Europe and Buddhist monasteries flourishing and and all the injustices of the old tradition suddenly are made you know are, are made just and all the inequalities are made equal and all the unfairnesses are fair so we change because it's nature is to do that so so the the waking up is to wake up to that akupa jaita vimuti, the unshakable heart. And so that's now. That's not something that you get through through doing something. It's something. It's what you really are when you awake when you trust yourself to be in that state of awareness, attention to this present moment. So, uh, I offer this as a reflection for this evening. <laughs>